What's up and welcome to the NYC Video Podcast, a show about the film and video industry here in New York and the pros that are making it happen. I'll be your host, Tom Chavez, and each week I'll be interviewing other New York filmmakers to learn more about their craft, their process, and with a little luck, they'll share some of the stories and observations of working here in New York. On today's episode, I sat down with Adam Richland, one of the founders of Lightbulb Rentals here in Brooklyn, New York, to learn a little bit about how he got started and why he decided to open up his own rental house. Over the past decade, Adams helped countless filmmakers by offering invaluable career advice, discussing ongoing safety issues within the industry, and has done a better job than anyone else introducing filmmakers to specific resources and encouraging networking opportunities within the industry. We also talked about this potential IATSE union workers strike that may halt all union-run TV shows and feature films being shot in America and Canada. Some of the demands being made on behalf of union workers are safer and humane working hours, fair pay, and increased funding of health care and pension plans. While neither Adam or I are in the union, we understand that changes to the union policies often dictate changes to the entire industry. Non-union productions often abide by rules and practices that have been put into place by unions, such as overtime, meal penalties, and forced calls. Without further ado, let's get into today's episode after a quick word from this week's sponsor. If you're looking for a gourmet kitchen space for your next video production, check out Cooktop Studio in Industry City, Brooklyn. The space is 3,600 square feet in size, and it gets lots of natural soft light throughout the day. The kitchen is outfitted with marble countertops, finished cabinetry, and an induction range and oven. There's also an ice maker, a dishwasher, and multiple refrigerators for your food stylists. Getting to the studio is super easy. It's minutes away from the BQE, subway, bus, or ferry boat. Cooktop also has on-site parking for production vehicles, clients, and crew. To learn more about Cooktop Studio and to see a video walkthrough of the space, visit cooktopstudio.com. Also, be sure to follow them on Instagram to see behind-the-scenes photos that other productions post on social media. I'll leave the links in our show notes. If you end up booking the space, you can get a discount by mentioning the promo code NYC Video Podcast. Happy shooting and bon appetit. Okay, so I have Adam Richland today on the show. Uh, Adam is a fellow filmmaker here in New York. He's also uh, the founder of Lightbulb Rentals, uh, formerly known as Lightbulb Grip. So if we use the term Lightbulb Grip, we actually do mean Lightbulb Rentals, which is uh, now what Adam is doing. He's not just doing just G&E anymore, but he's also doing, I believe, camera and sound. Oh, so it's production supplies and vehicles at the moment, and then we're getting into into camera over the next couple of years, nice. but not yet. Okay. Yeah, we're getting there. Baby steps. <laughs> it's Baby growing steps. so quickly. <laughs> Well, cool, man. Uh, so anyway, I wanted to have you on the show today to just learn a little bit more about who you are, uh, learn a little bit about where Lightbulb started and where it's going, and also discuss uh, this pending uh, strike that's happening right now between IATSE and uh, you know the industry and, and all these uh, uh, discussions right now that are happening with the, the unions. So let's just start from the top. Um, how did you get involved in film production? Oh man. So a long time ago, I signed up for college and thought I wanted to be an animator. I wanted to become a Disney animator and uh, do drone frame animation. And it took me about three weeks into the first quarter of freshman year for me to realize that I don't like drawing nearly enough to be a professional animator. I, I kind of... I did about two seconds of a two minute animation and I was like, Nope, this is not for me. <laughs> and so I got lucky that the, the school that we were, I was in was film and animation and I was big into theater in high school and I enjoyed doing lighting and sound. And so I kind of just wandered to the other side of the pack and started doing live action filmmaking. And it was not all that different than theater, except that it now has a camera department and we're making movies on the, on the run instead of just in one theater. So I enjoyed doing that. And then um, graduated, became a working camera assistant in New York. And then um, I moved into lighting for a little bit and then moved into cinematography. And then I realized after a while of owning my own gear and renting it to my friends that I was making more. And I enjoyed the business more of renting equipment than I actually did trying to slog on 12, 14, 16 hour days back to back. It was exhausting and small businesses kind of run in my family. My, my father has a small business that he started with his, my grandfather. My mom has one. My, a number of my aunts and uncles have their own successful small businesses. So I had a lot of examples in my life of um, ways to do it and, and ways not to do it. And so I kind of, I got lucky that uh, I had a lot of support in my family for doing that. So okay. thanks mom and dad. <laughs> and you, you went to Rochester Institute of Technology. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Yeah, yep. A lot of, a lot of uh, good people came out of that program. Yeah. Cool. So uh, I guess what year did you move to New York? 
Oh man. So I graduated in 2009 I think I moved into New York in about 2012 or 2013. Okay. So my parents lived on Long Island. When I graduated college, I came back to Long Island, which is probably about a half an hour, 45 minute commute into New York city. It's the suburb outside New York city. If you're not from around here. And um, so I was just taking the train into the city for a long time before a friend of mine was just like, Hey, I have a couch available for like 300 bucks a month. Do you want to come crash on a couch? And I remember thinking, Oh man, that's a lot of money. Oh, I don't know. Can I like, can, can I do that? And um, <laughs> now with how, how much rent has gone up, that's like, I would take a couch for 300 bucks in a heartbeat. <laughs> um, but it was a big move when I was a young kid. And I like, I didn't know if I could get enough production assistant work to get, to get that going. But what my friend told me at the time was like, you got to be in the city to get the, to get the work and get the hustle. Sure. And so I was like, okay, I'll give it a shot. And I'm, I'm very thankful it worked out. I made a number of great friends that um, we all traded work back and forth and moved up pretty quickly. Sure. And what were some of those like early projects that you first landed, I guess, when you moved to New York or when you started working here in New York? Oh, I worked on so many horrible shows, um, <laughs> which is why I'm <laughs> talking about that. We're now uh, the next topic is going to be talking about IATSE and, you know, like fair labor practices. Sure. Um, I worked on a lot of horrible rap music videos. I worked for a, um, a wedding production company for a while that did like multi-million dollar weddings and only paid us nickels. Yeah. And I, I mean, I enjoyed the the travel that we did with those things, but I didn't enjoy having to fight to get a paycheck yeah. constantly and like go through that washboard every single month. Um, I worked for a couple networks. I did a lot of reality TV. My, the guys that I knew were um, in New York. A number of them were working on a lot of reality TV shows. And so I got pulled onto some of those as um, as a way to pay the bills. And I learned I really don't like enjoy I didn't enjoy reality TV. It is a hustle for some people that love it. But for me, it was too loose, like wild west cowboy of like three, three people are trying to do, run the entire crew themselves. Yeah. And I was, I felt like I was constantly trying to do six jobs for a hundred bucks a day. Um, some people love that. And some people don't, don't want all of the big formality of like uh, a big set with uh, 80 people on it. And then there are other people who are just like, I would rather just have my one corner of the world and just have to be a, uh, like a camera technician and not have to do anything else. So it depends on your work style, I guess. But, um, so I got to try a lot of things Mm -hmm. and then I ended up trying to head toward into being a gaffer and being a cinematographer. And then I realized after a little while, I really didn't like the, I, I, I enjoyed in, being a DP, I enjoyed the part about cameras and lights and making a beautiful image. But the part that really frustrated me was having to do all the meetings with clients and do all the tea sipping um, conversations about creative and stuff that um, I felt like I was really just kind of a prop of a person that was brought in to fill a space next to the director and the producer in the meeting. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really enjoy like having to be like, Oh, you have such a great idea. It's like such a brilliant, wonderful idea to clients. And then in the back of my head, I'm going like, that's just going to be a mess. We shouldn't do that. Um, I had a bad habit of like saying what I thought. Okay. And, and which is really a bad thing if you're going to be in front of clients. Yep. So <laughs> um, I, I didn't have that. Uh, like some people are really great at that filter of um, being able to like, keep their thoughts on the inside. I'm one of those people who just like says everything out front. So um, that didn't work so well, (laughs) but then I kind of wandered into renting my equipment, the stuff that I had that I bought to start making movies. I started renting it out to friends and then I started figuring out how to formalize it. And I got a partner and we got some storage space and it kind of grew into its own thing. And then now it's, it's what I do every day. And we move like between 10 and 15 jobs a day constantly. Yeah. So like, I know that now, like you're, you know, an entrepreneur, you've started your own business, but just kind of taking it back a step when you were freelancing, what were like some of the biggest uh, headaches that you were dealing with as a freelancer that kind of made you decide, you know what, this isn't for me. Let me try my hand at starting my own small business. The thing that kept sticking out to me was after I get to like 10 hours, I start getting cranky and I start telling people what I think. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That got me into a lot of trouble. Um, and then also the that constant fear and hustle of um, there's an old thing that I, like I I used to to say that um, the 
once you get off a long show, the first day off feels great. And the second day off is your chance to do your laundry. And the third day is, is when you panic yeah. that you're never going to work again. <laughs> and that constant roller coaster that like, it's an emotional roller coaster. It is uh, a huge, takes a huge emotional toll on, on you with stress and anxiety. And I really hated it because I started feeling like it was my personal failure. If I wasn't working five days a week or six days a week, I wasn't being successful. Mm-hmm. And that is completely a structure, this like house of cards that I built in my own head. It, that's not how it needs to be, but it's the, but between like that Instagram hustle culture of everyone looks like they're doing awesome all the time yeah, yeah. meets uh, the time that you're on film on a film set when everyone is like, Oh yeah, I'm working so much. I'm like, I, I haven't, I haven't taken a day off in, in 15 days or like in, in two months or something I'm like that's not a brag. Yeah. That's, I, that shouldn't be that a, a brag. But when I was young, I would just, I would look at that and be like, oh, wow. Well, I had like eight days off out of the last 16. So that means I clearly am not doing very good at this. Mm-hmm. But I had eight working days that I was getting paid three, 400 bucks a day to be an AC. That was great. That was like, those eight days were enough to pay for the entire month of all my like life expenses and stuff. Sure. But for some reason, I still was walking around feeling like I was a failure and I wasn't booking enough stuff. So that, um, uh, washing machine cycle of uh, emotional stress was not not a great thing, I guess. So light bulb. Uh, I know you started out as light bulb grip. Um, tell me how that came about and how that started up. <laughs> there was. I love telling this story. Um, there was a moment I was working on a film called Money the Film LLC, and <laughs> uh, I was gaffing the show and the entire truck was my stuff. I didn't own the truck. It was a rental vehicle, but like the entire grip package inside of it was my stuff. Air light and and grip electric package. And uh, I didn't have a company back then. It was just me and my, and my things. And I, you know, put together a little invoice for the production and QuickBooks and, and sent it out. Um, And while I was on the show, I got a phone call from my accountant. That's it. He was like, Hey, you know, this, um, this side renting stuff to your friends thing is really starting to stack up and it's making a mess for you for taxes. Mm. And so like, you either got to like go headlong into this, make its own LLC or its own company and like it, it go into this or you got to stop doing it one or the other. And so I was sitting there on the lift gate of this truck and I was thinking about it. We were in, I was waiting for some scene to get shot and it was the middle of the day and there's a young, um, we had a, a best boy who's pretty green, really nice young guy who was organizing stuff for the truck. And he came out and he sat next to me on the, the lift gate. And he said, you know, I'd love to run a rental house one day. <laughs> and I said, are you sure? And that's David Finn. And wow. we have been at this for five years together, okay. going into six years now. And he is one of the hardest working dudes I've ever met in my life. So he was a warehouse guy at Eastern effects, which is one of the huge, um, rental houses in New York. They're, they have millions of rental items. And uh, he was just a, a, one of the guys who pulled orders from the shelves and helped check them and put them back. And um, so he brought a lot of experience into it. And then we started a storage unit and I had my stuff. He bought some stuff to come into the group, into the, into the little company. And we started renting stuff out out of a little mini storage unit. And we had a little 10 by 10 unit. And then we bought enough stuff that we needed to get another unit next to it. And then we bought the unit across the hallway and then the one down from that. And then pretty soon within a year and a half, we owned the entire hallway of rental units. And I was paying like 2,500 bucks a month in mini storage bills. And it was (laughs) wild. And we, but the tough part was like every night, everything had to pack away. We couldn't like prep any orders beforehand. Like as soon as they came back, we had to be there right then and put them away because everything like puzzled back in super tight um, into the storage units. And so a friend of mine, Ruben Stauber um, at right at the right moment, I needed him to show up. Uh, He, he used to run below the line production supplies. He came across and he said, Hey, I'm, I'm getting a space in the the building across the way. We're only taking half of it. Do you want the other half? And I walked in and the, you know, they say in real estate, like don't buy the first house you look at. So I walked in and I saw the big open space and at a front door, it had a big six truck loading dock and it had a private 
Loading dock is in a great spot. And I said, I'll take it. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so I then promptly, we, we moved in and I realized all of the stuff that we owned from all of those storage units fit in like a tiny corner of the entire space. Wow, okay. And I was like, oh no, I rented way too much space. And so it took us about a year. We teamed up with New York City Camera Company for a little while. They shared part of our space. And then they've now since grown up and become, they've gotten their own uh, shop space in inside our same building because they needed, you know, checkout bays. They needed so much more infrastructure as they grew as well. And sure. so we kind of were like um, two uh, brothers growing up in bunk beds. And at some point you guys got to get your own rooms kind yeah. of thing. So um <laughs> So yeah, I got a lot of respect for Hunter Baker who started New York City Camera. He's got the same uh, hustle and hard work and aspect I do. So so yeah, and then we've grown ever since. We've we've just been uh, moving orders. We try to be as precise as we can with our orders and make sure that everything we rent works and is and the stuff that you asked for is in the hampers on every single job. Sure. And that's the thing we pride ourselves. Somehow that's enough to be make yourself a standout in the market um, when there's a lot of there's a lot of rental houses out there in New York, but we get a lot of repeat customers because just giving the people the things that they ask for and they're all working and they all show up on time is, is a, a, a standout thing. Sure. Sure. And you know, when you're talking about community too, one of the things that I've always loved about light bulb uh, was just like the meetups. Um, can you oh talk yeah. A little bit about late night. Uh, what was it called like light bulb late night, late night with light bulb? late nights, late, late nights at light bulb. At light bulb yeah, yeah. Okay. So, for anyone who's listening, this is the trick for putting together uh, easy networking events that will that will make you famous if you keep doing them long enough. <laughs> it, or, I mean, I guess with COVID now, people aren't using Facebook events as much anymore. Yeah. But for many years, I would just put together a Facebook event at a bar, invite like sixty friends, and then message ten or fifteen of them and say, "Hey, can you break? Can you help me?" Like. Um, pass this invite out to a bunch of people that you trust because I'm trying not to just like put it out there for anybody. Otherwise you get weirdos. Um, but at least like taking that my friends that I, that I know have like, you know, good taste in other humans um, and, ha- and have them help invite people. Everyone shows up to the bar. They buy their own drinks. They talk with everyone else. And then they thank me for putting together an amazing event. And really all I did was put together, it was, a Facebook page and say, Hey, everyone, come on out. Here's the list of drink specials. It's going to be fun. Sure. And over time, if you get a good crowd of enough people, if you start with a, if, with a, like a, a, hand, a hand chosen, really good crowd. And then the next time you invite those people to bring more people, they had a good time last time. So they'll come back and then they'll keep inviting people. And then as you go around, you try, like, I try to remember who in the group are more, more people who are like connecting type people sure. and then invite them to bring more people. And it grows and grows and grows. And there's a point in 2019 where we were doing, um, we were getting routinely getting like, between a hundred and 160 people coming to every one of those events. And uh, we used to host them at a, at a bar near our, um, near our warehouse before we just moved them into the warehouse directly. Sure. Um, and when we, we would make a deal with the bar that we would bar, we would set these things up on a Monday night. It would be the first night of the month. And like clockwork, everyone that came would drink enough to pay off the bar's rent on the first Monday of the month. Wow. And so the bar loved it. It was a great deal. Um, I would buy a couple friends drinks as we went of like, you know, a couple courtesy drinks to, you know, get the night going and stuff. But then once everyone else started showing up, everyone would just assume that, Oh, I, I go up to the bar, I buy my own drink and it just kept rolling. Yeah. And so they were a really great chance to meet people. It was also a great chance to blow off steam. And I'm a super hype. Well, it was a, what do they call it? A, a hyper extroverted person. So I enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's, there's so much to be said about like networking in person. Whereas I think after, you know, this past year of this whole COVID thing and, uh, not being able to see and hang out with so many people in person. It's to me, it's been really, really tough. So I really miss those days. I really hope they come back soon and we're able to kind of get together. Yeah. And do some drinks at, at night. So, yeah. Anyway. So, yeah, we did those. And then we also did um, educational events at Lightbulb. As we grew up and we had more warehouse space, uh, we started hosting them at Lightbulb. And then I would do, um, uh, both mixers there and also like, uh, screening events and, um, classes for intermediate filmmakers. And my theory on teaching filmmakers was that there's a lot of on YouTube, there's a lot of stuff for beginners that like 
uh, how to use the D, uh, DSLR and, and how to set up basic three-point lighting. Those have been covered a million times, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of intermediate skills that you pick up as you have been work- once you've been working in the industry for a few years. But then we all kind of have blind spots of like, I might know a lot about car rigging, but I don't know anything about, um, let's say, like underwater work or mm-hmm. um, working on a helicopter or something. And so bringing in different intermediate level filmmakers to talk about the different, the thing, the one thing that they're good at teaches a whole room full of people um, and shares that knowledge. And so every, was it every month or so we would have another one of those things and talk about uh, all different skills. Yeah. So I enjoyed doing those and they cost nothing. And um, we would just, we, if you wanted to come to them, we would also trade that. Okay. At some point you're going to have to get up and talk about a thing that you're good at and, and back and forth. And so it was all just Skillshare. Yeah. And you know, one of the reasons that we had this conversation today was to discuss uh, this ongoing strike right now about uh, IATSE and how a lot of the IATSE um, uh, union members are planning to go on strike. Uh, You're probably much better versed on this topic than I am. Can you tell me a little bit about the, the background, I guess, of what's going on right now in the world? Sure. Um, so this is something uh, particular to New York, but uh, to, to the unions that we have in New York, as well as um, uh, IATSE, the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees, um, stretches across the country. And so they have locals all over the place. And you probably have in New York, you'll have heard probably have heard of Local 52. That's the Grip and Electric Union and, and Sound. And there's um, Local 600 that covers camera. Um, in LA, uh, there's 728 and 800 and 600. There's uh, all these different local numbers for different sections. Their hair and makeup has their own local in different um, uh, major areas. And so all of those locals, or most of them, are part of IATSE. And so they represent all of the technical workers in film, except for a couple little categories. Um, There's the DGA, which is Directors Guild, the Writers Guild of America, SAG-AFTRA, which is all of the actors, stunts, puppeteers, et cetera. Um, And then there's the Teamsters that do transportation. So those guys are, those are all separate unions uh, that have their own bargaining power. But IATSE is um, one of the largest ones outside the Teamsters because they have the most departments covered on set. And so, um, the, they're negotiating against another group called AMPTP, which is the Alliance of Motion Picture and Techno- Television Producers. And that's not every producer that you, you meet, especially not like with indie stuff in New York. That's, those are the, the suits in the, in, in the big networks. The major producers, these are the guys in boardrooms. These are not the little producers that we're working with every day. They're the ones that are representing like Disney and Warner Brothers and Paramount and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So they have a vested interest in trying to keep their costs low, but um, still get production shot. And while IATSE is trying to push for better um, conditions for their workers, like like all unions do. Sure. Um, what are so, some of those, uh, those uh, things that they're pushing for? Do you know? So, yeah, so the IATSE renews their contract every three years with AMPTP and they, um, they duke it out. It's a, it's, it's not like it's an all out war, but they, every, both sides come to the table with the things that they need and uh, they need to get done in this round and they, um, they make a deal. And so the three big things that IATSE is pushing for that they're having trouble getting through among, among a, you know, there's probably 30, 40, 50 different things, little things that are on the table. Um, these three big topics, uh, sustainable benefits, living wages, and reasonable rest. Um, these are three things that are are not uh, not going so well in the negotiation. So when you hear them talking about, hey, IATSE is considering striking, it's because they're not getting taken seriously for some really core things about how uh, we work and our livelihood as um, as filmmakers. And so sustainable benefits, um, or should, I should start with living wages. Um, so there's a category in, of union, there's a couple categories of union, uh, productions. There is, um, there are majors, which is the huge, uh, like silver screen blockbuster films. They're, they're well-funded. This is your like Marvel cinematic universe movies that have many, many millions of dollars in production. Mm-hmm. And then there are, Tier movies, which are tier three, tier two, tier one, that get smaller and smaller as they go. It's decided by by how big their budget is. Mm-hmm. Um, tier uh, one is 
like getting close to minimum wage, it's not very much money at all. And then uh, at the bottom, there's this group of contracts called new media. And the union about 10 years ago tried to start making space for all this new web content, all this digital stuff that's happening. If they were offering a little bit better rates to help that section of the industry grow, but now the all the big networks are still trying to ride under new media contracts. Right. But these shows have become things like Amazon and Netflix and Hulu and Facebook. And the shows that they're calling quote unquote new media are like Game of Thrones, Marvelous Miss Maisel, The Mandalorian. They're like huge production yeah. shows with massive reach. And they shouldn't be considered uh the they shouldn't be given the 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 grace of being called new media anymore. They the the those networks really should be paying in to provide the benefits and the proper wages that go along with them being major shows. Mm -hmm. Um, And so a big sticking point now is like, okay, we let our IATSE let um, new media be a thing for a little while, but now we're getting to the point where it needs to, those, that new content is now the majority of the content that's being produced in the U S and it now needs to fall. It needs to move back to what we already consider to be stable living wages that we, that they have negotiated for the other types of contracts. Sure. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, so if you're okay. again, working on those shoots, like a, like a Netflix show or a Hulu show, because, because they have such, you know, uh, uh, greater distribution, I guess, than traditional studio, um, productions, do the workers actually get paid more for working on those shows or should they be getting paid more because they have a bigger reach? That's the problem. So um, at the moment, they're not getting paid more. They're getting paid less. And a big sticking point is that new media productions are not paying into benefits the same way that the larger uh, majors and tier shows are. And so shows and movies uh, kind of putting them together. Um, And so the, the, uh, healthcare and the pensions and stuff that uh, go along with being a union employee are not getting funded properly because now the majority of this work is work that is exempt from paying into those things. So IATSE is trying to shift the balance of saying, okay, now that new media is the big thing, we now need new media to reflect living wages and good work conditions and making sure that our employees are getting covered for pensions and stuff. Because let's be honest, we're not going back to the silver screen model. Um, it's It's streaming is here to stay and so those big companies that are making billions on this need to be paying in um need to be paying into benefits and and stuff properly so they're called fringes and fringe is a deduction from your paycheck and similar to how they take out money for disability and workman's comp and stuff Mm -hmm. um the union on on union shows will take out a fringe and that's how they help operate and how they help fund the um the benefits that they offer to their members the other big problem that they're having is the is reasonable rest. And this is a thing that I've been evangelizing for for years. Yeah. And I use the word evangelizing even though I'm Jewish um, <laughs> because I think that it's something that we really, really, really need to take seriously. And so um, I have worked way, way too many 16 and 18 hour shoot days in my life. I at one point worked a 27 hour shoot day where I saw sunrise twice in the same working day. And back then I was just like, oh yeah, I hit a new record. And now I'm like, that was not a thing to be proud of. Um, If you want to try to raise a family in this industry, if you want to try to have a life, if you want to just try to have a significant other and have a reasonable relationship with them where you're able to like see them from time to time, reasonable rest is a really important topic. Now the union and the IATSE and AMPTP have gotten themselves into this funny position where they have made so many exceptions over the years for overtime, where there's double time uh, after a certain number of hours and then triple time and then golden hour or a golden time where you um, and so there are all these penalties, these dollar based penalties for going into overtime. And they've set it up so that uh, the union can just so that the producers can just say, okay, we're going to go into overtime. You have to do it. And we're just going to pay you a little bit more. So you don't get an option in what time you actually get to go home at night. Mm -hmm. And you don't get an option in how your schedule is going to be set up for the week. And so the union actually is making money when 
making more money when they go into overtime than if they don't. Right. And union employees are making more money when they go into overtime than if they don't. And I'm, I, and I don't want this to come across as slamming unions. I just want it to be an educated part of the conversation that the union is making more money in that little section of fringe deductions um, when it's when there's more dollars in there when there's overtime. And so there is an incentive for the union to allow that to keep happening. Sure. But it's got to a tipping point where it's just been too much for too long. And we're getting to the point where uh, 12 and 14 hour days are now constant. And it was it's not like they're occasional. They're just the the now the the working norm. And everyone is expected to have their cell phone on the entire weekend and to be at everyone's beck and call. And um Fratter days are a whole thing sure. where they schedule Friday. Uh, so you're supposed to get two days off for the weekend and they're not allowed to book Saturday and Sunday usually. So they book Monday starting really early in the morning at like four o'clock in the morning or five o'clock in the morning. And then they shoot all the way through the day. And then as the week goes, the days start shifting later and later until you get to Friday where you're starting at like 4 p.m. and going to 4 a.m. So you're basically wrapping at 4 a.m. on Saturday morning. Yes. So by the time you get home and you try to sleep for six hours, you're halfway into your Saturday or you yeah. try to sleep for you know 10 hours. You're, you're waking up Saturday afternoon before you have a couple hours with your family. And then you have Sunday, you have a couple hours before you have to go to bed super early to get up for 4 a.m. on Monday again. And it's not a mistake. The, union, the uh, producers do this intentionally. They get the absolute most that they can out of their people by – setting up this schedule to use as much time as as they possibly can it's gaming the system mm. and for a while the union has been patient with it because you know they're they're making a bunch of money and the the union members are making money on it too but it's also getting to the point where like parents aren't seeing their kids grow up and uh like relationships are falling apart if you can even have the time to start a relationship um and it's it's writing people to death um, there are a lot the the number of heart attacks and the number of stress related injuries and mental health in, injuries are going up in our industry at an alarming rate. It's yeah. a big thing. I mean, having a life like outside a set is damn near impossible. And you know, like you're saying, like just having a relationship and being able to show up on time to a dinner date or you know to a to a family member's birthday party. It's you know, it's kind of in jeopardy whether whether you can or can't do it because. If production deems that today is going to go a little bit later, then you just have to accommodate the production schedule. Um, I know that's happened to me countless times. I'm sure it's happened to you many, many times. And yeah, um, yeah. And in I, in I college, I had a girlfriend who was a software engineer, and when I would work on, I got myself onto a couple of professional film sets outside uh, the university, and we would we would do some crazy overtime. And it would be like a commercial for like a local um, gas station, like, I don't know, uh, Quick Check or Wawa or one of those kind of places. Mm -hmm. And I remember one of them, we were there for uh, 15 hours and we were only supposed to be there for 10. We were scheduled for 10 and the day just went way late. And so I came home and I'm like, I'm so sorry we ended up doing overtime. I just didn't get a choice in it. And she said, you always have a choice in doing overtime. When your boss says, are you willing to work overtime? You just say no. Why would why would you not just say no? And I just remember having this moment looking at her like that's a thing that's an option but if you did that in you know on a film setting you just like nah i'm not doing overtime you just walk away like you're probably not getting paid for that day and everyone's gonna be like wow you're the guy that left and dumped their job on the rest of us yeah but there's also like a sense of guilt uh you know if i wanted to leave i could leave like and she's right like i I could just kind of you know just drop my gloves and get my car and drive home but there's always that sense of like camaraderie with the rest of the crew that you've been working with for so long and you feel guilty by dropping the ball if you're going to leave early or leave before the rest of the crew wraps up and packs the trucks up and and all that stuff so i think that kind of plays into um it it basically fuels the fire as well it's not just like uh it's it's you yeah you basically just kind of feel guilty just leaving so it's 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 another part of the problem as well um i think production has to basically lay down clear and and um clear like rules at what time we're going to wrap so everyone kind of understand this is the time that i'm going to pack up and go home yeah yeah and i think there is an amazing instagram um uh channel right now called ia underscore stories and if you're listening to this and you're interested in this topic, you should definitely look it up because the stories that filmmakers are coming out with from across the country 
are incredible to see that it's not just you dealing with crazy hours and burnout and being um, like uh, sexual abuse situations on set and like all of these crazy things that we just brush under the rug by constantly changing who we're working with day by day and by everyone pushing with this sense of uh, team camaraderie that like we all have to keep going um, and that you're 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 on your own if you don't stay with the uh the school of fish yeah. um so i recommend yeah taking a look at that and i also think that this iotsi situation is very important for independent filmmakers that are even if you're not in the union yet it's important to keep an eye on what's going on over your head um i'm not in the union at all most of like 90 percent of our customers are non-union as well but it's really important to me because what happens in the union world has ripple effects for the rest of us mm-hmm. and if you have ever gotten paid a meal penalty, if you've ever gotten paid overtime on a day, if you've ever like told a producer, no, I'm done after 10 hours, or like, we should, we should be wrapping at 10. Like, why are we doing overtime? The concept of overtime is a union thing. Um, The concept of having a weekend. I don't know if you know, have you, do you know this story that uh, weekends were invented by unions? No, I didn't know. Yeah. Okay. So um, the women of the amalgamated clothing workers of America created the five day work week in 1929. And by doing that, they also created the weekend as the other, as a name for the other two days. It took a few years to catch on, but it's now like a de facto part of every one of our lives. We all know the word weekend. Um, The idea of nine to five, the idea of paid time off as a union invention, Mm -hmm. the concept of workplace safety standards um, after the women of the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory fire, um, the concept of two weeks of paid vacation per year as like a standard thing. Um, There's a lot of benefits that the union has offered and has has created and uh, imbued into the workforce that the rest of us gain some... some, uh, gain success out of. Right. And so it's really interesting to see what happens when the, when, when the, the Goliaths fight up, up over our head, because it comes down to us and we gain some of those benefits too. And we, even though we, we don't get a seat at the table, we still kind of have, um, we, we still have a, like a wager on, on this fight anyway. Sure. Yeah, it's uh, you know just, I've just been doing a little bit of reading, and it's it's amazing to see that there's actually 150,000 workers that are part of this you know possible strike. And if this strike were to happen, what do you think? Like, what what would that mean basically for our industry? Well, for a while, content's not going to get made. Um, there, we saw uh, a couple years ago there was the writer's strike, and I want to say that was like, I think the mid 2010s or so. And that was part of the creation, or it was the early 2010s. That was part of the creation of reality TV was producers trying to get around needing scripts and script writers. Mm. Um, I think, I don't think that the strike will be that long. I think it just needs to be the point of making the point to producers that everything needs to stop until you start taking care of the things that need to get taken care of. Yeah. Um, and I think the producers have some things on their bargaining table that they want that IATSE is not giving into either. And so it kind of goes, it goes both ways, but the things that IATSE are asking for, the things that the people that you and I are, are talking to and working with every day, the things that we care about, those three things echo into our world yeah, a lot. Play. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've all definitely heard like horror stories, especially about people like driving home late at night after having worked, you know, 18 hour day, 19 hour day and getting into car accidents. And I think I read, what's his name? Uh, uh, Haskell Wexler. Wexler. Yeah. He made a movie about um, a documentary about a crew member that he was working with who got into a car accident and, and died while they were making Pleasantville. So it's, it's definitely a real thing. Yeah. And, uh, it's definitely a very important thing that affects so many different people. And I really hope that they choose wisely when they, you know, when they finally settle on, on everything that's at play. Yeah. The hardest part for AMPTP right now is that reasonable rest is a thing that they're, that the, that IATSE is fighting for that they can't solve with a paycheck. Mm-hmm. They can't spend money to fund overtime. They can't spend money to get themselves out of that mess. IATSE really just wants to limit the workday. I don't know if it's eight or eight hours or 10 hours, but either way, 
just bringing it back to a reasonable number of work hours per day so that we can all have a chance to have lives. I mean, it doesn't, if you're getting paid a ton of money, it doesn't matter if you can't, if you don't have an opportunity to use it in your life, if you don't have it, like if you're getting paid a living wage, what only matters if you have a chance to live too. So, so yeah. Um, Yeah, I think I should also probably mention, um, we were talking about some of the history of unions as well, and how important um, women, particularly women of color, have been in creating a lot of those changes for uh, for the American workforce. Mm -hmm. Um, I know uh, IATSE, and particularly in New York, has for a long time been a very white and male-dominated union, but overall, when you start looking at a lot of the other unions across the country, um, you have the... IBEW for electrical workers, you have um, uh, hotel employees, there's a whole bunch of different kinds of unions. Um, they, they're they a real driving force in helping make those make these changes happen in our, our workforce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is very important, yeah. Especially like, it, just for me, uh, and I think for you as well, like when we started working in production, it was predominantly white dudes that were just working production. And now that we've been doing this for I think a little over 15 years, I'm starting to see a lot more diversity on set. And I think it's, you know, it's definitely trickling down because of that. Uh, So, yeah. Yeah. For me, I think that's a really big thing is making space and taking the time to um, look outside the group of people that you usually hire Mm -hmm. and hire and, and um, also make sure that the, the people that you're hiring represent a diversity of people and you're not just hiring the people that you're used to working with, but each time you do a round of hiring, you're making space for somebody new. Um, And I think that is up to particularly the, uh, I know in, in grip and electric, it's a particularly uh, white dude, heavy world. And it's up to us to start making that space. So Mm -hmm. if you're listening, that's a a big thing that I try to, to push to everybody because it's, Hiring on merit only goes so far if you only, if the group that you're choosing from on merit is not diverse to begin with. Sure. So, yeah. Cool. All right. Well, that covers a lot of the stuff that I wanted to talk to you about. Um, I had just a few more questions that I wanted to try to ask you because, uh, you know, sure. I, I love working with you or I love knowing you and I love, and I really respect what you do. So, um, for people that aren't from New York who are thinking about moving to New York, um, what would you say are some important things to know uh, about working in production before even you know arriving here in New York? Having a car in New York is unreasonable. Uh, don't try to do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, get used to the subway and the, and the the bus system. That's a much better way to work. And um, networking is easier in new york because more people i think want to meet but it takes more effort from you to get it started um to get the ball rolling and to to get out and meet people you got to put more work into it than i think what happens in other places in the country Mm -hmm. um i think there is a lot of independent production and so if you want to work on small and mid-sized projects there's a lot of easy entry-level space for music videos commercials short films that sort of stuff but there is not as much large union work like long running episodic shows and um, uh, big feature films, or there's not as much accessibility for new people in New York. You have to be here for a while. You have to fight your way into those, but there is a lot more work. um, There's a lot more accessible small work that you can get going with and pay your rent and, and build a base on as you decide what you want to do. Okay. Uh, next question. One of my last questions is also Facebook. I know that you're a huge user of Facebook. Uh, I see you posting on there and, and helping out filmmakers all the time in all the different groups, uh, sometimes at the craziest of hours. Um, what would you say are some of the, <laughs> it's true. I, I see you like replying sometimes at one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning. And I'm like, where does this guy find the energy to do this, <laughs> to be online at this hour? Cause I know that light bulbs like keeping you busy for sure. Um, but what kind of Facebook groups or what Facebook groups, uh, would you say are really beneficial to filmmakers who are either just starting out or who are, uh, actively working and stuff like that? Do you find any groups more beneficial than others? Um, I think it depends craft to craft, um, whether you're in sound or makeup or, um, 
or or lighting, but I, I can at least speak for Grip and Electric um, that the the Grip and Electric group is great. It's just Grip and Electric, um, and then there is Cinematography Salon and Gaffer Salon. And so while Grip and Electric is usually very nuts and bolts, uh, had a, uh, like questions about lighting, who has things available, and you know um, posting that I need work and stuff. Um, the Gaffer Salon and Cinematography Salon are a little bit more questions about aesthetics and um, the, some of the more fine art choices. And so I think they're really interesting to watch to see what happens. Um, early in the episode, I mentioned Hunter Baker from New York City Camera, and he is one of the founders of Cinematography Salon. Um, and I think it's a really interesting group of filmmakers who really care about the sort of the, the fine art ends of the craft. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the other thing I would say about filmmaking groups on Facebook is join all of them. <laughs> Just true. keep yeah. clicking join until your feed is full of them. And sooner or later, as you're scrolling through, one of them will say, hey, we got a sound gig available for, you know, if you're a, if you're a sound guy or, um, hey, we've got this available. And the more things you're part of, the more um, data you have in your feed, the more access you have to what's going on in the in the market industry yeah for sure for sure it costs you nothing to click join so may as well just keep clicking on stuff and then some of the groups are great and some of the groups are junk and then you'll over time you figure out which ones you want to stay in and which ones you want to you want to leave yeah but for me i get into these like really 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 bad click holes and i just spend hours and hours and hours learning about stuff that has no relevance whatsoever in my life but they're just fascinating just watching these like full on like you know wars sometimes on facebook is so entertaining but (laughs) Have you read some of my Facebook essays yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> about? Like, yeah, I, I I get um, knee deep into uh, exploring things as well, and I really enjoy it. I started writing, um, working on writing white papers for the American Society of Cinematographers, uh, Motion Imaging Technology Council, and um, there's another group, uh, ESTA, that works on safety for um, for theater and film, and so that my my writing explainer essays on Facebook has actually grown into me like making a difference in um in trade publications and in how the the core of the industry is working now. So I laugh about it, but it also has been quite a useful thing sure, too. Sure. All right. And my last question for tonight is knowing what you know now, uh and you've been working I you know, I assume for the last 10, 12 years um, what would you have done differently as a filmmaker in New York? Oh man, I would have started the rental house earlier. <laughs> <laughs> Just, um, it took me a long time to figure out what I wanted to do in life. And I think if I had, if I had found this a little bit earlier, I just would be a little bit further along the same path, but I love what I'm doing so much now that, um, I wouldn't change it for anything. I think, um, I would just try to be getting on this path earlier. But the hard part is, is sitting down and figuring out what you want to do in life and which things actually bring you joy and can provide a paycheck at the same time. And not just the thing that, that offers the biggest paycheck that you might hate doing. Sure. Yeah. I think it's tough. Like uh, just sitting down to think about what you want to do. I think you re- what you really just need to do is keep moving, keep trying different things, keep meeting different people, keep you know having different conversations. Cause I think that's, what's going to, really kind of move your compass in the direction that's going to really, you know, stimulate where you're going and where you want to go. Um, yeah. Every time I've tried to yeah. sit down and just think about stuff, it just it doesn't really, for me at least, doesn't take me anywhere. It's really just kind of talking to people and getting my opinions changed and stuff like that. That's what really helps me. Yeah. Everyone sees their own facet of the world and we all are, we're all traveling through the same world, but somehow, um, I learn the most interesting things from talking to people that I, I'd never expect. So I just talk a lot and, or get into a lot of, I should say, I should get into a lot of conversations. I do talk a lot as well as <laughs> you can see from this conversation. But, love um, I get into try to get into a lot of conversations with people and see what happens. Sure. And um, yeah, it's always surprising. Cool, man. All right. Well, dude, thank you so much for being on the show. How do people find you if they're at home? And thank you for having me. You? Yeah. So yeah, um, I'm Adam Richland on Facebook, and um, it, there's also Lightbulb Rentals on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, our website is lightbulb.rentals, and if you're in the New York City area, you're welcome to come check us out if you need advice or um, you need help finding resources. Uh, by all means, give us a shout. We're always happy to talk. Yeah, 
And uh, I can definitely say that if you ever have any questions about anything, Adam will definitely try to help you out. Uh, I answer so many questions every day. Of, is this safe? Is there a better way to do this? Yeah. That, that's like half of my day every day. So, But I enjoy doing those things. Okay. Well, amazing, dude. Thank you so much for being on the show. And uh, yeah, hopefully I can swing by light bulb one of these days and we can kind of see each other face to face. Wonderful. Thank you for having me. It's always great to talk with you. All right. Have a good night, dude. Bye-bye. You too. Between wrangling actors, planning a crew move, or locking up a busy street corner in Midtown, communication is key when it comes to production. Hudson Radios is New York's premier walkie-talkie rental house. They're based in Fort Greene, Brooklyn, and they provide industry-standard walkie-talkie kits, surveillance mics, wireless hotspots, routers, and more. You can pick up your order at their location, or they can deliver it to your set. For your next shoot, visit HudsonRadios.com to see the equipment that they offer and fill out a simple estimate form for a quick and easy quote. You can also keep up with them on Instagram, at Hudson Radios, to stay informed of new pieces of gear that they provide to productions. When it comes to walkies and communication, Hudson Radios keeps you connected. Their links are in the show notes. And now... Back to the show. If you're a filmmaker and you want to learn more about Adam and Lightbulb Rentals, you can check out their website or follow them on social media at lightbulb underscore rentals. Adam and Lightbulb are great resources for filmmakers of all backgrounds to know. And through social media, Adam provides a lot of meaningful help to the rest of the local filmmaker community. So be sure to connect with him. Also, be sure to check out Ben Gottlieb's Instagram page at IA underscore stories to read some of the posts by IATSE members in which they describe current and past working conditions on major shows and films. The posts are anonymous and give insight on how brutal working conditions in TV and film can actually be. If you want to hear more industry news and gain indispensable advice from some of your peers, please be sure to subscribe and rate our shows on Apple Podcasts, as this really helps others find the show in their feeds. If you want to hear more about industry news and gain indispensable advice from some of your peers, please be sure to subscribe and rate our show on Apple Podcasts, as this really helps others find the show in their feeds. You can follow us on Instagram to see past guests and listen to episodes based on your specific area of interest. If you have any questions or you'd like to explore a particular theme on our show, DM us on Instagram. And finally, if you're interested in running a sponsored ad for your business or you'd like to be a patron of one of our episodes and engage with the New York film and video production community, amazing. Shoot us an email at nycvideopodcast at gmail.com. Until next week, I'm Tom Chavez. This is the NYC Video Podcast, and I'll see you on set.